1: Hello, welcome back to another episode of Get Found, Get Funded. And this is your co-host, Zena Island. Today, we are coming together because of uh, next week, November 13th, there's going to be a special hearing, Supreme Court hearing, with Byron Allen, versus um, Comcast Cable. And I know most of you know who Comcast is, Xfinity. And when I heard Byron on The Breakfast Club just recently, because a friend um, knows I do a lot of work in economic inclusion, I work with angel investors, I work with so many people in the startup uh, and tech ecosystem who are trying to bring about uh, economic success for black and brown people, I said to myself, we have to do a show about this. And the whole premise of the argument that Byron Allen and Comcast are having is this old, probably one of the original civil rights acts in American history, which is the 1866 Civil Rights Act, Section 1981. And basically, it was designed to create economic pathway and economic inclusion for the enslaved people who were freed in December of 1865, which a lot of people argue about the date, but we're just going to say 1865 for now. And I learned about this law. I had no idea about it. And it was really the impetus for the whole civil rights movement for black people who were enslaved in this country so that they could have a chance, have a chance in America to be able to have um, fair contracting and commercial and government contracting. And a lot of historians believe that it's involving uh, 40 acres and a mule, but it's a much deeper case than that. So... Once I heard about economic inclusion and economic pathway, I started thinking about the whole tech uh, startup ecosystem that I'm working with, these incredible angel investors uh, from Pipeline Angels, my two co-hosts, also Score3, uh, who was one of our major, major supporters and partners, and I said to myself, well, that's what we're doing. And when you listen to Byron's story, I had no idea about what he was building, um, that he owned the Weather Channel. He owned 10 networks. Uh, I had no clue. I just still remember Byron, unfortunately, and I might be age- um, dating myself back. But when he first started on Real People and my mom really loved him and he was a comedian and my mom absolutely loved him. She also knew the story behind his mother being, a, I mean, being his rock. I mean, and she was a single mom. And they were from Detroit. So all of that stayed with me. But I had no idea he was building this conglomerate behind the scenes. So I brought Aurelia and Christina. And later you're going to hear from Rashad Moore and Melissa Bradley are coming back to have this discussion. Because they are very much a major, major players in the system. So... Christina Aureli, what are your thoughts about this, uh, about what's happening on November 13th? How come we're not talking about this? And, what, you know, and we are doing this, but and we're also doing it quietly, I guess, in some respects, but maybe not. I mean, what are your thoughts?
2: I think we are talking about it. We may not be referencing the 1866. I mean, when you talk about access to opportunity, you know, growing of wealth, access to new jobs, access to government contracting, access to capital— this is what we're all fighting for collectively and individually and what we do now. So I actually think, you know, what I when we talked about doing this show and I took a step back, I said, oh, my goodness, this conversation has been going on since this act came out. Mm-hmm. And the conversation, unfortunately, hasn't changed much at all. Yes. And it's not to the lack of effort of so many people. It's just where America is. And that's where I think we need to figure out, again, collectively, for the initiatives that we're working on, whether it's starting a fund, whether it's getting more people of color, black people specifically into angel investing, whether it's starting a company, increasing the consumers or uh, customers that you have, whether it's partnering with each other to expand a business. These are the things that we have to be really intentional about moving forward. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, and I mean, I think even as early as our you know origin show, mm-hmm. We talked about, for me at least, how important it is for us to talk about money and what that means for our communities and and to be part of having a larger discussion about what it means for wealth and how to access capital, how to leverage capital, mm-hmm. how to think about how we utilize capital, even in our everyday lives, right? right? And so... It is a conversation that we have on some levels, and it's a conversation that I think we need to keep having over and over again. And hopefully this will be one of the first in a series of conversations we have around black and brown wealth and just how we think about and and interact with money Mm -hmm. and conversations around money and wealth and how we share information around that kind of thing. And from my standpoint, that's part of why we're here. It's why yes. we do what we do. That's why
1: we started this whole podcast the in the first place, so right. that we could have these conversations freely mm-hmm. and bring on people who you may or may not know. Mm-hmm. You might know them, you may not. But these are people who are building Black and brown wealth in this system, right. and, and and a lot of folks don't understand it, and I think it's because of the fact that we might be afraid of money and numbers and data. Um, that and maybe could be not a even afraid,
2: just our relationship with it is not money. For some people, is not something that you keep and grow; it's something that you take and spend, mm-hmm. right? And so, I think part of it is what is the value of our dollar? What's the value of our spend habits? I would say. Um, you know, how are we investing in one another? How are we supporting or saving? And those are the conversations I, I don't think historically black families have and that we learn and it becomes a habit in our life going forward and that we pass down to our children.
1: Exactly. So,
3: and, and I think it's, it's part of kind of learning what money is out there and what's possible, right? Because I think, historically for our communities, it has been much more mm-hmm. of a hand-to-mouth existence mm-hmm. as opposed to leveraging and keeping capital and growing capital. And yep. part of that has been for institutional reasons that have kept us from doing that.
1: Right, right. right.
3: Like we've talked, I, I know I've read a lot of articles that talk about home in the US. Absolutely. As being a big determiner and, and redlining and so forth, mm-hmm. a, a determiner of the lack of access to wealth. But I think we're trying to take the, the discussion even further, right? Right, and not just talk about homeownership, but also talk about investing in other businesses, and investing in yourself, investing in your, in your education, in that, which is absolutely. And and how do we grow that? How do we access that? And so right. that's part of what we're going to do today is mm-hmm. have a conversation around um, where all that money is. I think it was interesting to hear um, Byron Show on the Breakfast Club, where he said, "There's money all over the place." Right. Mm-hmm. Right. There's a it's ton money, of money. It's a ton out of money there. out there, and people are surprised to hear that yeah you know and, yeah. and I wasn't surprised to hear that at all because there's so much money that is looking for a home and I think in the startup space and in the venture space and in the fund space we know there's a lot of money looking mm-hmm. to be invested and grown but I think we don't necessarily have those conversations in our. we don't and
1: what the bring it and bringing that up the weather channel he had an investor he had an investor he yeah. had terms those are the things that, that need to be discussed more so people can understand it's okay to start a business and you may need some help and you may need some investors. And that's one of the first places he went. So he didn't buy the weather uh, network all, outright on his own. Right. He had an investor. And so but that's if, but
2: why. we got to even step back because mm-hmm. even for him to think about doing that his yeah. mindset had to be at such a place mm-hmm. where he was one he was building relationships and then had the ability to ask and had the ability to back up why it's important he right. he knew it's making money you know that it's profitable here are the things that we can do we can expand it and we can actually have a, the, the weather channel in spanish and mm-hmm. here's the population and so he had a strategy and a plan but before he got there he had to have the mindset and yeah, I, the thing that stood out did. to me That he talked about was uh, just the mindset of black Americans and how historically the system has dismissed us and has discredited us and demonized us and then destroyed us. Mm -hmm. And I think that has kept many people back from actually taking the step that he did to say, oh, I know this person who has this money that can help me. I can borrow it, give it back to this person. I can show them the path. I can come up with this strategy. Before people even get to that, they've got to believe that they can. And they've got to also build relationships with people that can help. And I think we're kind of stuck in that area.
1: And he found those people. And they were not necessarily black people. But he found people who believed enough in him to make those introductions and also those investments Mm -hmm. and get him going. So it's, it's also finding that those key folks who are out there who are willing to help you.
3: And I think the other piece of it, right, whenever we borrow, whenever anybody borrows, and unfortunately we do too much consumer borrowing in the U.S., mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but when we think about borrowing, there is a sense that we can pay it back, right? And certainly in a lot of Latino communities, people don't borrow because they're afraid to pay. they, can't, they won't, either won't be able to pay it back, and there's not a culture of borrowing mm-hmm. in the same right. way, certainly outside the U.S., and so first, the sense has to be, yes, I can access this money. Mm-hmm. Right. But the next step is, and I have enough control and leverage and wherewithal that I'm going to be able to pay it back. Right, right. And I think that's another piece that we haven't really talked about in the sense of getting investors with regard to our startup um, discussions. You know, when you are taking investment, depending on what the structure of the investment but if it's an equity investment, you don't necessarily have to pay that back in the same way. Mm-hmm. You, you should pay that back. And we know that a lot of startups don't succeed. Right. Exactly. But when you're talking about really large, taking on really large amounts of leverage, and I think people are familiar with a home loan, right? So you right. think, okay, you're going into a home. That's probably several hundred thousand dollars, depending on what area of the country you live in. If you're in our area of the country, much more than that. (laughs) Much more. So much (laughs) more. (laughs) But but you are are taking out a loan for a huge amount of money that is usually multiple times your salary. And then you are going to be able to pay it back over time. And so being able to have that mindset, right? Okay, if you're going to take out a $300 million loan for the Weather Channel, do you know how you're going to be able to pay it back? Do you have the internal you know, wherewithal to be able to leverage that business in a way that's going to bring money back to you and not only money back to you just to pay your loan, but also to succeed and grow. Exactly. absolutely.
1: So, well, everybody, we're going to bring on our special guests shortly and, um, Rashad Moore, Melissa Bradley, and, uh, we're going to have this uh, very exciting, but also thought provoking and educational conversation. And, um, I'm, I'm, we're going to bring them into the studio now. Well, we are fired up in this studio to start this conversation. Uh, welcome, Rashad. Hey, how you doing? Welcome, Melissa. Glad to be here. So I just want you guys just to give a quick overview about who you are. I know you've been on our show, uh, uh, Melissa, twice. Rashad, no, no disrespect. But now you can call it up, Melissa, sort of, sort of, sort of, sort of, because now this is her third time. You are to have to record another one. We <laughs> <laughs> got a topic. <laughs> I told you we are fired up I at, see in got this studio. All right, all right, Rashad, let's just give a quick background over overview, and I already talked about you and Melissa earlier.
0: Hey, how you doing? Uh, I'm Rashad Moore, um, entrepreneur. I uh, had a small uh, defense contracting company and grew it and sold it, and now I am doing it again. And uh, also, uh, I do a little angel investing and uh, invest in startups. So if you if you have a great idea send it to pitch, P-I-T-C-H, at score3.org. Again, that is pitch at score3.org. And uh, we'll take a look at it. We'd love to learn more about what you're doing.
4: Melissa? Hi, my name is Melissa. Uh, thrilled to be back. Um, I have a couple of roles. I am a professor at Georgetown University, McDonough School of Business. That's right, <laughs> Um I am also managing partner and founder of 1863 Ventures, which is an accelerator for New Majority Entrepreneurs, and I am recently co-founder of Eureka, which is a venture-backed company. Congratulations. Congratulations. To, thank you. We are thank here you. to support you on that one. Um, so so just gonna let had me, our you going to invest, or what? I get to, so we are a venture-backed company focused right. on democratizing economic right, opportunity me... and reducing the friction and cost for small business owners, and we'll be opening up a round soon. All right, fair oh, enough.
1: Awesome. Oh. So this is the reason why we're here today, to talk about this.
3: <laughs> well, let's talk about um, black and brown businesses to start, right? So I think we've, we've talked a little bit about wealth and, and access to capital. I think historically, black and brown folks have started their own businesses for a lot of different reasons and not necessarily because they thought they were going to make a gazillion dollars and sell it off, right? Mm-hmm. There were reasons of flexibility and time and maybe just not even being able to find a job that would leverage their Skill sets and abilities. Right, we call it necessity entrepreneurship versus chosen, chosen yeah.
2: entrepreneurship.
3: Yeah, and so, and, and then of course we have a lot of folks who have a side hustle or they do something else just to be able to make ends meet yep. or to so, keep their sanity or to keep their sanity. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, and I think we can talk about those um, businesses over time, right? We can think about how that's happened. You probably know people that have done it, you know, in your churches growing up, or family, or whatever, that have been somewhere in the path of entrepreneurship, and now we're looking at entrepreneurship, and that word has become a lot more um, known, and now people are finding themselves as entrepreneurs in a whole lot of new ways. So let's talk about that a little bit, because what we do normally is talk about a very small subset of entrepreneurship, but today we're going to broaden that conversation. That's awesome. I mean, we just graduated a class at
4: 1863 Ventures and um, there were 20 entrepreneurs from all over the country. Uh, L.A., we had a lot of people from Texas, they were disappointed the Nationals won the World Series, go (laughs) Nets, and the Midwest. And what was interesting is we do a session um, called Entrepreneurial Mindset because a lot of them didn't even consider themselves entrepreneurs. Mm. Um, They were like, I'm just a business owner. And there's nothing wrong with that, but I think in order to, have the right mindset, and place yourself in a position of power around how you manage your resources, you need to understand what that word means. And it was great because at graduation, everybody said, I am an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's a loaded word because we think of white boys in hoodies, Mm -hmm. um, or we think of Bill Gates, and we don't oftentimes think of people of color. And I think the challenge is, you know, nowadays, if you read mainstream reports, they would say entrepreneurship is on the decline. But the reality is that women are the fastest growing segment. Right. African American women are starting businesses six times faster and Latino businesses are the fastest growing. Mm-hmm. The challenge, of course, proportionally, they are so small. Right. They typically have one or two employees. Their average receipts are between five to $10,000, but they're still there. And I think when you talk about their value, while they are not the gazelles or the unicorns or the zebras that you want to name them that other people's do, I, I would say that many of these folks that came last week recognize that they're still contributing to the wealth of their community, even mm-hmm. if it's just one job or half a job, and that's pretty significant.
3: Yeah, and I mean, I think part of what's happened, too, is that we have created different kinds of entrepreneurs, yep. even within, um, within entrepreneurship, right? So we've got, like, real estate agents right. who have their own businesses, and yes, they have to be under a broker, but... By and large, those are a lot of people that are having their own businesses. They have their own time freedom. They have their mm-hmm. flexibility. Right. A lot of women have had to have, you know, um, their own businesses because of needs for childcare and so forth. Um, we've got, you know, franchises now that people can start, and that's that's an interesting thing to think about. But there's just a lot of ways for people to think about being entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. and not just. Kind of sitting down and setting up yep. shop and getting a real estate, get, getting a real estate lease someplace, right? There's all sorts of freelancers and all of that kind of thing, and we can talk about pros and cons of you know the gig economy as well. Yep. Um, and you know, entrepreneurship is definitely more in the in the national conversation and conversation in our communities, which I think is different
2: than before. And I think something that you're hitting on is how are we defining success in entrepreneurship, right? right? So you brought up with the solopreneurs. So for black women, I think it's something like 97.3% are their own employee. They don't have another employee. And that is okay, right? So I think to sometimes, your, sometimes, it's, you know, let's be clear, you're right. sometimes. sometimes, you're right, there are some cultural nuances that sometimes people try and hire folks and they don't retain them as staff, Absolutely. but we are not, we'll maybe talk about that I later, know. I just want to make it clear. Um, but in but in general, I think what you're hitting on is the level of success or how we deem success for an entrepreneur, and typically we're looking at the you know white boy in the hoodie who has raised X amount of funding, maybe sold the company, and maybe it's worth shit today. Um, But there are women and there are people of color who are working and have been working for decades, selling their products, selling their services. Um, In Virginia, there's actually a woman that um, I've come to know, and she's doing amazing work. She's been selling wigs to, I think I've mentioned this to you all, to women who have gone through uh, cancer. And she's been doing that. She's her own employee. Um, but she's at like $375,000 a year in business. Nice. She's doing Absolutely. extremely well. And now she's thinking about hiring her first employee and thinking about franchising. So we're having that conversation. But she's been doing it for over a decade. But,
0: but one thing I did want mm-hmm. to kind of bring up, I mean, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. And I think when I first started my company, I mm-hmm. kind of did something very similar that I'm like spending a lot of time to try to help entrepreneurs understand that they shouldn't do it this way. Mm-hmm. Or at least they should think about doing it this way. So she waited till she got to about three hundred and seventy-five thousand to start to think about hiring their, her, like people to work for. I think with the gig economy and you can go to Upwork and you can find people. Yeah. I think entrepreneurs have to start bringing people into their organization sooner, on a part-time basis, even on a super part-time basis. Like we've got one person that works for me that on, we only two or three hours a week or two or three hours a month sometimes, um, you know, just when we need some data or something Mm like that. And so I think if we can start to sort of think, okay, well, this is a a business and I think we can go further faster if we say, okay, let me learn how to manage a scale, right? So I don't need five full-time people, but maybe I need Five people, and maybe they only work three hours. But you've
2: also run a business before, and so for the person who hasn't, and I think Melissa mentioned this earlier, it's the mindset. It's It's the. It's definitely the mindset because when I
0: started off
1: as an entrepreneur,
2: I wasn't. I never thought about scaling. Mm-hmm. I never thought about
1: hiring other people to help me. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's something I was the first entrepreneur in my family. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I'm the Tommy on the Martin show. <laughs> of my, I hate to say <laughs> it. We don't know what Tommy was. And that's how okay, what they think good. of me right. at home okay. and in the D. They're like, what in the world does she do? But we just, I never had that mindset. All I said to myself was, I'm going to get my bills paid. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. want to be able to try survive. to continue my the lifestyle that I'm used to and survive. And when other people started coming up to me, you know, Melissa's mentioned it. You've mentioned it. You know, you need help. You can't do all this exactly. by yourself. So we're now talking about scaling a business. I feel bad because I remember some years ago, I'm not going to name the name of the company. She had a very big decision to make if she was going to sell her company to a white owned company. And it was a black owned business. And she had a conversation with her team. I was her publicist. And then she had other people. And we all said, don't sell. And now looking back on Mm-hmm. that conversation and after knowing all four of you, I wish I would never have told her that. Mm-hmm. Maybe she shouldn't should have sold, sold the company. Because what happened, they went back, the <laughs> other company, they went back and just created and built in their own black initiative. And they ended up becoming her competitor. And, and now you- she's not even in business. Yeah.
4: But you know I, I mean I think one of the things, you know, we we separate, I mean you know, there's lifestyle growth scale, I think you have to meet people where they are, mm-hmm. and and I think that there is a lot um, to be an entrepreneur, and, and I think people underestimate what goes in, and so I'm not necessarily going to disagree that people shouldn't think about scale earlier, but we had companies that are making a million dollars and maybe only have three people, and I think you have to figure out, it's more than a notion to hire someone, and particularly now, even in the state of California, there's no such thing as a gig worker. Everybody is an employee, that's a cost. Right. So I always tell people, if you can't add and you don't know your numbers, don't hire somebody. Mm-hmm. Because I do think that it takes a while for people to both trust themselves right. and their business. of the money is always going to be there, mm-hmm. right? Three seventy-five is good. Usually, it's like, it's like when you're fifty to sixty thousand dollars more than you've ever made in your life, right. people get really excited. But if you think about that, because we're not used to making that kind of money. And speaking for myself, you grew up in a paycheck-to-paycheck household. I don't take that for granted. And I'm not Mm -hmm. just going to start hiring people, Mm -hmm. particularly because we are more likely as black people to hire our own people. I don't want that burden. And I don't want somebody else to have an opportunity cost that I can't support. Mm -hmm. So I don't disagree from a business process, but I think that there's a lot of emotions around bringing other people in that, that we particularly as black and brown folks have to address that there is an element of risk tolerance around money that we don't grow up with that mm. is really required if you want to have a scalable business.
0: Sure. And and I think I don't, I'm not really talking a lot about just scaling big businesses. Sure. It could just be, hey, I want to pay my bills, I want to get my bills covered. And it's one of those things where it's like now there are just ways that we can say, okay, let me bring in a little help. And then that actually, in in my opinion, what I found is that allows me to see my kids more. It allows mm-hmm. me to... To do other things that, that maybe when I f- started my first company, because my first company, I didn't hire anyone until I was doing about, we were doing about four or five million in, in yeah. revenue before I hired anyone. So I was doing 100 hour weeks. You know, I just had a kid. You know, my, my daughter. But isn't that the hustle? I mean, yeah, part of that no. too is the narrative. Like, yeah, you're an entrepreneur, kind of, you got to work all the time. Of, you don't but, get to see your yeah,
4: kids. Right. Yeah, yeah, but, but I'm not, not saying it's you know, healthy. But I think yeah. The other but piece. then you it's know, like the yeah, speaking health, right. and I even like,
0: going back like, to like, Byron Allen, like, he what? talked
1: about remember yeah. how yeah. he was hustling to make money and make ends meet.
0: No, I mean, I think you have to hustle. Like, I mean, you're still going to be working on dry weeks, but at the same time, I mean, you know, I gain like. Eighty pounds, and you know my actual health went went down. You know I had a healthy business, but I had a a very unhealthy body. Right, Uh, Mm. and that's one of the things. is like, look, you can make all this money, but if you're not here to 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 be around to enjoy it, then what? You know, what's the point? But no, I'm just saying, you know, if let's just say you wanted to start a side hustle that made a thousand dollars a month or something like that, right? Well, you can do that, and you can hire a few folks. Um, two three hours a month just to kind of help you get it going mm-hmm. and, and keep it going and sustain it. I think sometimes when I talk to people, it's more or less they don't know how to delegate and and like you said, it's there's an emotion attached to it, like or trust factor. It's
4: our livelihood now. Yeah, we've
0: we've absolutely. already jumped ship or managed. <laughs> <laughs> yep, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and so I just I just wonder how we can sort of help right. folks get over that that sort of I don't know mental block sure. when it comes to, like, inviting people into their spaces, if mm-hmm. you will. And, right. I mean, I know if you go to 1863 Ventures and you, uh, and you train with Melissa, she will definitely help you. And she'll make sure your numbers are right, too. Oh, but- we do a lot of therapy. I will say that, <laughs> that we, we have shifted the
4: model. And, and I would say at least 20% of the entrepreneurs that left were going to go to therapy. Yeah, um, wow. and we support that because I good. think that it is this hustle. And if you say work-life balance, people think you're not serious. Right. Mm-hmm. And the reality is that this is a marathon, not a sprint. And you've got to be able to take care of yourself. But I think from an entrepreneurship community perspective, that's not supported, and right. and the black community is sure not supported because did you just leave your good government job and you try to act like you got work-life balance? You better go right. back. I mean, it's yes. just that's not how we operate. And mm-hmm. we've got to even change our own narrative how we support entrepreneurs so they actually feel like it can still be a person.
2: Yeah.
4: Oh,
3: absolutely. So I think there's two points that I, I want to kind of um, focus in on. One is that we do start a lot of businesses in the black and brown communities, and they tend to be very small. So I think we need to put those numbers out there. and We have to be OK with that. And like you said, meet people where they are, right? It is OK. We're not expecting you to have a multimillion dollar business. And it's fine to be there. And if you want to scale and grow, There are a lot of resources out there to help you do that. And I think it's, and part of it is knowing that it's possible Mm -hmm. and knowing that it's like, okay, and that it can be healthy and that there are a lot of resources out there to help you. The other thing that I wanted to bring back to Melissa, because you've done actual research Mm -hmm. on the fact that it costs black and brown businesses more money That's right to get going and to get over the hump, to kind of get to a successful place. Talk to us a little bit about that research. I think that's fascinating.
4: Yeah, so last year we we started with a different hypothesis to understand some of the capital challenges and what success meant in terms of capital. And we found a very fearful culture to share what was really happening in venture-backed businesses because many of the entrepreneurs were not legally emotionally prepared to manage that level of velocity that's mm-hmm. expected. Mm-hmm. So we flipped the script and said, OK, let's just talk about how you
3: got Wait, I here. Wanna, I want to hear that again. They weren't legally or emotionally,
4: emotionally ready. ready. So legally, long. many of them were LLCs. Sure. Or, and so just even going through that hurdle of, of conversion, conversion. Right. and having legal conversations and not really understanding. They just picked the one that was easiest right. to check and was the cheapest at the registration office. Mm-hmm. Um, and also understanding that it meant on more people, like oh, now I have to have a board and Mm -hmm. I have to have a founder's agreement and I have to, wait, I need a cap table too. And it's a lot to take on with a lot of jargon that even some of them were like, so yeah, we talk about it, but like, what really is a cap table? Mm -hmm. And and people thought it was like evidence of valuation. I was like, no, it's just a table of who owns what shares, but it has no value. And so I think, you know, people can go too fast, too soon. Um, so we flipped the conversation to say, well, like, what did it take for you to get here? We realized that it's at minimum a quarter of a million dollars more for a black and brown entrepreneur to start the same business. A quarter and that's million like dollars At pitches. least. And that's direct and indirect costs. So I, as a black woman, can legally pay an interest rate of 7.6%. A white female can legally be charged 5.2% based on a variety of factors that we put in a black box black box called underwriting, oh. but a professor who works with Kaufman, uh, Alicia, was very clear to say when they d- went behind the bank numbers, the reality is it was pure racism mm-hmm. and the stereotypes around what my credit worthiness was, mm-hmm. how I was living, etc. cetera, because ultimately it's an objective conversation. Mm-hmm. So that's an indirect, I'm sorry, that's a direct cost. The indirect cost is not being able to get into certain accelerators right. and incubators mm-hmm. because, for example, Techstars and 500 Startups wants a team. Well, I had shared in the last show when I started my business, my friends were like, that sounds great, but I can't pay my rent with options, so good luck to you. Mm-hmm. So I would not have qualified, and mm-hmm. most of us don't because we're solopreneurs. Mm-hmm. Well, if you don't go there, one, you probably lose just a given term sheet of $100,000, which they could care less about, but you also lose free Amazon credits if you're running a mm-hmm. tech company you lose free Facebook credits if you're running a CPG company to run social media ads. And those things begin to add up that one, we have to go find for ourselves and two, we actually have to pay for ourselves. And the other thing I would say is that we saw that black and brown entrepreneurs spend three to four times more on professional services than their white peers. Which is odd because like we all got a lawyer in the family, but they're probably not a business lawyer. And so and I think women have some of the similarities when you go tell a lawyer or you go tell an accountant, if they don't understand your business, like, why are you selling wigs? Like, mm-hmm. that just seems dumb, mm-hmm. right? That mm-hmm. that it totally kills the confidence of the entrepreneur, and right. so they keep oh, going. Absolutely. But now they've dropped a bunch of retainers that you can't get back. Right. And so it was interesting because we had someone attend the, the workshop last week that said, what is the best thing you got out of this program? And so I was eavesdropping. And uniformly across the board, they all said, confidence Mm. because some of them had been in other accelerators Mm. where their pride and joy is you get 300 mentors the first week. But what do you do with 300 people telling you it's great, it's dumb, it's hard, we need to pivot? It's too much. When, when mm-hmm. you have yet mm-hmm. to get validation from your own community. Right. Because right. my mom is still saying, Do you have a job? What do you do? Like, I know you no. can pay your bills, but I'm not really clear <laughs> right. what you, you do. Right? <laughs> and, and so I think that we have to own that because we don't have a culture that embraces as much as others, and for very obvious mm-hmm. reasons, this idea that we can entrepreneur, because every time we have been an entrepreneur, it's literally been taken away or burned down, mm-hmm. that how do we then go to another community that clearly could care less if we were there and just survive right. that bullying around why do you deserve, there was a black woman who is a scientist, PhD, who is in another accelerator program right now that I will not name? She has not put her product on the market because she has five advisors who've been assigned to her, and every time they meet, they go, "This sounds good, but you know we're still not really clear why you're qualified. Oh
2: wow! Oh, wow. You should
4: sell mm-hmm. your license well, to
2: someone.
4: Wow! And it's a wow. skin product for black
3: and brown people. Wow!"
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you gotta tell me about that offline. Yeah. <laughs> and,
3: well and, we and, and I'll be really like transparent here. The first time I heard the word entrepreneur when somebody said I'm an entrepreneur, I was like, Oh, they're doing something illegal. <laughs> I mean that I mean like I mean, that does exist was a while well, that yes. like sense. a street but, entrepreneur. That's but, true. But that was my experience mm-hmm. of people who are in business for themselves and a sure. lot of them. I knew them in college. of whom too. I'm related to yeah. were very yeah. successful yep. at different points in time. Sure. But, you know, like, I think it's part of having the conversation sure. of, and not being afraid right? Right. to say, this is real, yeah. this is legal and legit. Right. And, and you may not understand it, but that doesn't make it bad.
2: And my bias was that people who are entrepreneurs couldn't get a job. So I was just like, they, they just can't get a job, mm-hmm. they can't yeah. interview, they're not able to do that. But I do. I want to. This hit is it like
0: up. recently, or like how oh, long ago we talking? Obviously, it's
2: not recent, but it's recent enough. Recent it's enough. Recent enough. Okay. I would say yeah, before like this I is like years ago. But yeah, and before me, but. before I left and started my own business, it took me a while to say I was in the entrepreneurial space. Mm-hmm. I was. I would say I was a business owner, but mm-hmm. not an entrepreneur. And I think that's just a mindset sure. thing as well. And one thing, Melissa, it's you. Safer, it's safer because it don't ask you as many questions. It's, right. It's uh, safer, exactly. and then it's you know. I think the. Uh, what is it called, Um, imposter syndrome. I'm like, I am not doing all of these things that this person is doing. You start comparing yourself to other people. What you should really be doing is comparing yourself to the strategy and the progress that you want. And so that was something to change. You know, I
1: wonder sometimes, I know you have a question for Mm -hmm. Melissa, that would I have done this in Detroit? See, I was Mm -hmm. able to do this here Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because I didn't feel like people were going to judge me here. I mean, because my tribe, which I now have a tribe here. I don't want anybody to get upset. But my <laughs> tribe in the D, yeah. they were like, what in the world is she doing? Yeah, she why would you give a, up opportunity? Why right? would you? Right. You got you a masters and yeah. health administrator. ministry. What, what are you doing? You're, you don't have a job and you're out here hustling? And, and you're like, no, I do have a job. Right.
0: Exactly. And I may One look the like i hustling, ones. but that's not a bad thing. Yeah, right. The now they
1: they they're taking the word hustling now and making it into more of a positive. I've mm-hmm. noticed that lately. I like that. I'm not I mean too, I right. am, but we remember where its origin started. It started in the black community. It did. It mm-hmm. really did. It was a song called The Hustle. I was yeah. so, was not born yet. Just so wanna make everybody know. Right the... sure. <laughs> sure. And that came out. Sure. But my point is I just feel as a, the confidence, I think I was able to keep moving on because I didn't have to worry about people wondering, like, what is she doing? Until I go home, I had to go home and hear about it Mm -hmm. versus I had to deal with it every day, being in Washington, D.C. You have
2: something you want to say? Oh, no, I was just
0: going to say to that, to the same point that you were talking about earlier, Christina, was, um, so a guy I work with, and and we all all know him, uh, just literally just yesterday, we were on a chat and, uh, you know, he was kind of. Yeah, you know, he's doing well. He's probably doing, you know, 7-800,000 a year. I know who
2: you're talking about. And
0: he was like, it was like he kind of felt down on himself and I'm like, "Hey man, you know, uh I sent him the stats." I said, "Hey, look, only about 7% of all companies, mm-hmm. like every last company in the world, only about 7% have a million dollars in revenue." Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Only about 10 or so have more, 10% or more have more, uh, I think it was like 700k or Mm -hmm. 500k or more in revenue so if you're in 750 getting ready to break a million in revenue right this isn't even just profit you are in the upper echelons of all people we call business owners or entrepreneurship and then so i sent it to him he was like oh man you know now that you put it this way that's Mm -hmm. what he wrote back in text." i feel better he he felt better (laughs) because when you look around at your the people around you you know if you got if you happen to be in a space where there's you know, people with larger companies, there's always going to be more. There's always going to be mm-hmm. people who are richer than you, just trust me. Um, then sometimes you might feel a certain kind of way about your own accomplishments. And right. uh, and so it just takes some time just to kind of put a little perspective on it. So, And, some. I, and
2: I, something that everyone's hit on. So I was at a um, Shelly Bell, who runs Black Girl Ventures, mm-hmm. just onboarded 25 new change agents in five new cities. Um, powerful vision just to see all of them sitting in one room. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that one of the women, and many of them are entrepreneurs, that they brought up was uh, with entrepreneurship comes a lifetime of um, emotions, to your point, and just feelings. And so even before they're able to deal with the challenges of entrepreneurship, they've got to deal with the challenges that they've grown up with, like issues that they had as a seven-year-old, as a 14-year-old. And so a lot of what um, we are doing is therapy. We don't call it therapy. coaching, counseling, but it is really therapy and creating a community of belonging for women or or men, whoever, but for the black community to actually get over some of these historical issues that have kept us back, whether you know you're working for corporate or you're an entrepreneur. But I think that's something that we have to think about when we talk about supporting black and brown people in entrepreneurship going forward.
3: Yeah. And I think part of that too is allowing people to walk away from Places of success, Mm -hmm. right? Like I know for myself, like I had this whole sense of there were generations of Latinos before me that Mm -hmm. like worked to get me to where I had made it. I mean, literally, I had friends who were like, "You've made it! What are you doing?" You know, and just had that
2: conversation a month ago.
3: (laughs) So, so I mean, I think you know, there's there's those pieces. So we've talked a little bit about entrepreneurship and all the background and all the baggage that has come with entrepreneurship particularly in black and brown communities let's talk a little bit about money and access to money in the entrepreneurship space because i think it's one thing (laughs) it's one thing to have to go and sell yourself or your product right it's a whole other thing than to get in front of people and ask for hundreds of thousands of dollars when historically it's been hard for our communities to get bank loans, right, for regular stuff. To, and we get charged higher interest rates yep. for cars and houses and so forth. And now, in this new shank, Shark Tank era of you know, venture-backable businesses where we are talking about, we are now inviting people, encouraging people at some, at some stages, sometimes, to go and ask for large amounts of money to build their businesses and to do that. And I think part of that is just allowing people to know it's possible. You can do that. You actually can ask somebody to write you a really large check. And there's a lot of money out there. And we'll <coughs> talk about the different levels of that. Um, but what does it look like to democratize those spaces and to ask our entrepreneurs in, in our communities to do something like that? So
4: discuss. We're Well, we're, I'm very clear. I have a strong point of view that not all money is good money. Right. Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. I think that the challenges to your point, what is success? Mm-hmm. That we have defined success to be a venture-backed company. I'm not really sure that still survives with I places like We Work, but um <laughs> it does, right? And so I'm, I'm troubled that you know we give examples money that have not money. actually panned out. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I do think that this aspirational element mm-hmm. of, of for those who decide I really want to be successful, in many cases to help the community. We have only really presented them that path. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a lawyer come in and lots of questions around crowdfunding, and people just mm-hmm. don't understand it. And they either know people who did really, really well, and mm-hmm. they don't have time to tell them about it, or they did really, really badly. Um, angel groups, not a lot of them are telling me, email me, like you are, uh-huh, right? Yeah. And, and so it's a black box, and mm-hmm. you have to know somebody to get invited, and right. somebody's got to vouch for you. And so I think that in bank loans, we just know, right? Self-fulfilling prophecy, I go in, I'm not going to make it. So I think we have been both trained that that is success, and therefore, if we want to be like everybody else and be accepted, as not sure we have to go that route. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that we have a lot of other options, unfortunately, which is a whole other issue. Um, But I think I can say, honestly, for the four people who had term sheets who were in our last cohort, um, none of them really understood what the heck they were signing. And two of them said, wow. if I could do it again, I would not have taken it. Yeah. And not necessarily because they don't think they need venture funding, once we understood that it is a type of capital that serves a very specific surface. But one young lady was very honest. She's like, it, is a, it has not allowed me to do what I'm supposed to do, which is to execute on her business, business she right. got a term sheet in january right. she has yet to be able to sit down to launch version point two because they have told her you need to be out here pitching and raising more money wow. well that's mm. absurd and she broke down in tears because she said i have failed my team and she mm. has a team of five people because mm. she got that first term sheet yeah. so i think what i don't what i want to make sure is that we don't think venture capital is bad
2: but I right. think like any it's type of option.
4: asset class, it is right for a certain type of company at a certain stage. And you have to be prepared to keep pace with that money if that's the path you so choose. But we we created a venture path model. We've got all kinds of stuff. It's like you're lost in a park because you could have crowdfunding. Mm-hmm. Then you could do friends and family. Mm-hmm. Then you could do another crowdfunding. Then you could go to an angel group. And then maybe you do venture. Then maybe you do debt. But you have to just figure out what is your pathway. But I also think... I hate to say it, but we all know statistically women and people of color are not good with numbers. You have to really figure out where are you trying to go and how much does it cost? And when we said to entrepreneurs, well, how much does it cost you to scale? Nobody could answer. And not because they were dumb. They're just trying to make sure, can I keep the lights on and pay my people? They have not figured out what is the analysis Mm -hmm. that I need to be doing to figure out what does it mean to stay in business and grow my business.
3: And I think the other piece to that is, I mean, I want to double down on what you said, which is that it is not required to get venture backing right. of any sort to be a successful amazing business and make a shit ton of money that's right right? That's right there's no necessity to go in and get an that's angel right. money or vc money or anything like that to being really great that's right. and so people need to know that so that's one thing and yep. I think I'm really glad you said that because I think it's really important for folks to know we're not telling folks they need to get into this space we're saying if you want to play here, we want to help it become accessible That's right. to you. That's right. Number two, if you are going to get venture backing, people need to understand that it comes with a whole bunch of things. Fast scaling. People are going to push you to scale fast and you're going to have to exit, which means you are going to lose control. You are probably not going to stay a CEO, probably, or at least not for very long. That's true. And number two, you're going to give it up. So it is in you know if the company is successful, which we hope it is, sure. the most likely outcome is that it's going to be acquired,
0: which is awesome. By which the way, which is it's awesome. A thing. Real, yeah. and yeah. it happened
3: to you, and I it was mean, a great thing.
0: But I never raise venture money either, though. So see, I, and I typically start businesses where I don't need other people's money because I don't. For me, it's my own personal thing. I don't like asking people for stuff. I don't want anyone to which control. Which is hilarious, since you're the
3: yeah. You write all these checks. I know, right? Yes, like, well, people ask me. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah.
0: I just don't want to be controlled or have... Basically, I just don't want to have to beg people to get where I need to get. So I'm going to start something where I can spend $10 and I can make $11. And then I'll take that $11 and then we'll just parlay it all the way up. But, I mean... But for a lot of companies, or for a small certain set of companies that we call venture backable, then you know maybe they don't, maybe they need a hundred, you know, maybe a a million or two million or something like that, and that's sort of the space I play in on the angel side. But if you just sit down with me and just chat, and I usually talk to about I don't know forty companies a year over. Uh, at the mall, <laughs> at the at the Tyson's Corner Ooh. Cafe. I heard Rich <laughs> called up. up. It, it is, it is. I've been over there a couple of times. And uh, <laughs> and we just sit down and we just chat and we just uh, like the vast majority of companies that I work with, they they don't need venture capital to make mm. money. And, right. Uh, so. but
2: they do need to focus on their business. Yes.
0: They right. do need to focus. They have to focus the on their business. Aid. Yes.
3: And while it's not a bad thing to be acquired. By a PE company, right? Oh, absolutely. It's, it's good it's to awesome. be able to know that you have a choice. Yes. And exactly. if you are venture venture backable and you choose to take venture funds, yeah. you may not be the only person making that choice. That's right. Absolutely. So that's the distinction. Oh, right? 100%. And
0: yeah. if you do well, the money is awesome. And,
3: and I think, and both of you have said, but it's not necessary mm-hmm. to take. It's not necessary to raise the money or take the money if you don't want to or if it's not necessary, that's right? Fine. Like so- some. Yeah. So does know. this
1: go back to what Byron said on the Breakfast Club, Byron Allen? Um, there's a lot of money out there. There's a lot of money to be made out there. And is is that what he meant because of the way he built his empire? Yeah,
0: there's a lot of money out there for a certain set of folks who have the right network, who are in the right circle. <laughs> have the who right mind the right kind of business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that look a certain way. Um so yes, there's. I mean, the economy is great. So yeah, there's a lot of people uh, with with money. But if if you're on the ground, like it'd be, I would feel weird saying that in front of the fifty or sixty or so entrepreneurs I talk to every year, mm-hmm. um, because they are all struggling. They're like, hey, well, where's the money at? Show me, show right. me the money. And it, it's, uh, it's absolutely-
4: It's there. It's in the back room of the country club. that requires a secret code, the handshake, and a paper bag test.
0: Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Exactly and uh where it is. Or a pedigree, I am pedigree, infl- pedigree exactly. test. I am, <laughs> I am personally infiltrating all these rooms. And if you email pitch, with a P, P-I-T-C-H, we we at score3.org, the I will help you with the secret handshake. Yeah. But, but I will what? say this.
4: I, I, had the, I had the privilege to sit on the uh, Deutsche Bank uh, Advisory Council with Byron Allen. Mm-hmm. And Deutsche Bank was interested in growing their mm-hmm. assets in the venture capital to private equity space. And they created subgroups um, that looked at female entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. black entrepreneurs, and LGBTQ entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. So I ended up on the black entrepreneurs one, uh, which was fascinating because there were only two women and the rest were men. But our job was to help craft a strategy. For Deutsche Bank on how to increase the number of African-Americans that they would actually invest in. With the idea that if they helped invest in them, their assets would just happen to be dropped at Deutsche Bank. A very common strategy Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. across a lot of investment banks. And so we spent the first six six months dissecting the problem in Mm -hmm. very lovely locations. And the reality was that Deutsche Bank wasn't prepared to hear the problems. <laughs> they, they were still very well-intentioned. It was run by an African-American woman. Um, but the tensions and the challenge to get the African-American entrepreneurs to the place they needed to be, mm-hmm. not for lack of education, not for lack of knowing their business, but lack of social capital, mm-hmm. lack of strong financial acumen because QuickBooks' little balance sheet was not going to cut it. Mm-hmm. Um, they couldn't subsidize that. Mm-hmm. Right, There was stuff they were willing to subsidize that they thought were going to be some meetings. Mm-hmm. Let's all go on a boat together. When they realized that in their minds, it was actually like financial remediation. Mm-hmm. It was help them understand the difference between venture capital and private equity, because these are typically not dinner table conversations. Mm-hmm. The program ended because they said, we did not plan for that level mm-hmm. of investment. Wow.
3: So you said what I wanted to bring up next, wow. which is, I don't think people even know. What a PE fund is. Correct. People don't know what a hedge fund is. People don't know that pe- pension funds actually have to go find some place to invest the That's money right. that they collect. That's right. And so let's talk about some of this money so, that is out there.
0: So I did not know what a private equity fund was
3: until they came knocking on your
4: door.
0: Until they bought my company.
4: Right. Because right, it's not it dinner table conversation. I mean, first of all, it's not so, conversation so let's, let's, that we so have in some, high school, right? Because we've di- killed home economics, we don't talk finance. Mm-hmm. Um, and and let's be clear, when you look in those offices, Black and brown people, and even women, are not not sitting there. there. So, so why would we even know? So, I'll do venture capital. You do PE, since you got bought by PE firm, right? So, venture capital is high risk capital, with the idea that I can invest in you, and ideally within a three to five year period, you will bring me a seven to ten x multiple. That's not the norm, but that's still the aspiration that people have. Mm -hmm. With that money comes control. Uh, to begin a board role, but also shares. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in some cases, if you don't pay attention, that the balance of power can shift to them and they can begin to make decisions about your company. Mm-hmm. But, but I wa- do want to say the entrepreneur has a way to mitigate that, but unfortunately, we typically don't know. And the expectations are that you are a business that has significant competitive advantage that can grow and scale very quickly.
3: Right. Because the average venture capital fund lasts for ten years, and which Christina will talk to us about that's in right. just a minute, because she's raising in the middle of raising a fund. Yes.
0: Ah, uh, yeah. And so private equity is the exact same way, uh, exact pretty much the same fund structure and legal entities. It's they invest in less riskier assets. Is kind of how it would, I mean. I'm sure there might be some other distinctions, but that's the biggest distinction is, whereas a venture capitalist, they need one company to become Facebook to, all you need to recover all of the ones mm-hmm. that go to zero. And so maybe 90% of all the companies they invest in will go to zero, and then yep. one or two will be really big, and therefore they'll be able to realize their return. A private equity uh, fund is, a lot, is, is much the same way, but they invest in cash-generating companies, profitable companies that they want roughly the same long-term IRR or internal rate of return, if you will, but they invest them in companies that uh, they want their money back. Um, at the end of the day, and they sure. invest with that sort of profile. And uh, a lot of people don't know that private equity, the amount of money in private equity funds dwarfs That's right. the amount venture of money capital. in venture capital. It's just that you hear about all of the, the VCs because you sure. know they're on the board of Facebook or Slack or whatever. But if you are in D.C., and this is also one thing that, see, people always talk about Silicon Valley and VCs, I'm like, have you been to Alexandria and saw what the Carlisles have done, mm. <laughs> what the Carlisle Group has done? Have you been to Tyson's Corner? Have you been to D.C.? There is so much private equity, right. yep. you know, wealth or funds in this town that is just ridiculous. So yeah. uh, so once I learned about private equity, I was like, man, these folks are having fun and uh Yep. And we're going to be part of it, especially in the new thing I mean, And are The other
4: piece is I think venture capital is looking for the one big win, bang exit. Right. And, and so it's so focused on the individual. And so therefore, you better be a pretty strong-minded entrepreneur. Right. Private mm-hmm. equity folks recognize that they're buying into growth companies where there's some kind of ongoing cash flow dividend that's going to happen. And they look at it at a portfolio right. level. Mm-hmm. And so there's oftentimes conversations around synergy of right. the portfolio. How do I help grow the business collectively? And so I won't say it's less competitive, but is there a different culture in each of those asset classes?
2: And, and, and the strategy is often different as well on the P.E. side. So they might might help one company, and they might not be looking at another company until they help this company. And because their you know, services have synergy, they'll bring that company in. So I think that's really important. And then to your point with, on the VC side, it's really about the entrepreneur. So you mentioned it's a 10-year, often, uh, cycle. It's really a marriage. And, in fact, I think we were talking about this before. Sometimes your relationship with your VC outlasts your relationship with your spouse uh, unfortunately here in the United <laughs> States, not mine, um, but, you know, I think that's a really important factor for people is to realize it's really about the relationship. Yes. You need to know your numbers. Yes. You need to be strategic. Yes. You need to have a great team, but you also have to get along well with the folks that are investing in you.
0: Yeah. And, and we talk a lot about the buyer Allen buying the weather channel for 300 million and he had a single mm-hmm. investor. That's, that's the private equity side of the mm-hmm. house. Okay. The, that's, the P, that's the private that's equity, the, not P, the VC. That's not the VC side right. of the house, because I think it was debt as well. It was like yeah, a, yeah, loan, it was a loan, if you loan. Will. OK. And so, uh, yeah, so there's tons of that money out there for, you know, if you're the right, if you're the right, if you are the right entrepreneur, the right manager, really, I wouldn't even say entrepreneur so much, but if you are the right business manager who can get the assets under control, do the deal, and then manage the company you know, to stay in profit or to increase profits. Um, because all they really care about is: Are you going to pay them the debt back, or are you going to, you know, provide some kind of return on the uh, on the private equity capital that they gave you? So, um, but yeah, there's tons of money out there. But like I said, you gotta. You, it's it's not as easy as some people make it seem. Like that is out there.
2: But I will say, if you have a product or service that you have tested in the market and you know that you can sell, focus on selling because right. people are typically always buying something. In our culture, we we buy a lot. And so if you're able to leverage technology to help, if you're able to build relationships with your customer base, build community, you will do well.
1: And speaking of buying a lot in our community, we need to start buying more from each other in our community. You know, Yes, we, we need to start
4: doing that. Black Friday needs to be Black Friday. <laughs> 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 not Target Friday, not Amazon Friday. Right. But Black, Black Friday. Friday. Black Friday. Seriously, it should we, be a Black Friday should, every day. We should
2: start that campaign. I think the challenge is that... In some communities, there aren't certain industry or certain stores that are owned by black people. Right. Like we were oh, just talking we about the grocery store. Though, yeah. But we got online.
0: Who goes to the store anymore? Did you still go to the store? I don't know. I, don't I love grocery store. shopping. You like it? No. It's part of my
2: and habit. The, and that's
1: part oh, man, of the reason they're saying Instacart.
3: that. Are there, you
2: know, how <laughs> I like many Instacart are black too. I like
1: Instacart owned or Latino. Grubhub doors. Grocery
3: yeah. stores are out there. Yeah. Well, so, so let's talk about that, since you wanted to go there. And then we'll come back. And I want to come back and actually touch hedge funds and pension funds. And then mm-hmm. let's talk about what it means to actually raise a VC fund. Mm-hmm. Um, so and I've talked to you guys multiple times. and I think I brought it up at least a couple times on the show that when I read the book, Our Black mm-hmm. Year, mm-hmm. which is about a, a woman who decided that for her entire family, she was going to try her darndest to buy everything for the household from a black owned business. So if you think about that, right? that's everything from groceries, which was one of, which took up chapters in the book, talking about how difficult it was to find a black owned grocery store that sold produce, that sold meat, that sold Mm -hmm. fresh stuff, organic. I mean, it was just a difficult thing to find. But she went from everything from groceries to clothes for her kid, to gas for your car. To your financial planner. Did she make it a year? So, so she talks about it. she <laughs> she she the the commitment was for a full twelve months wow. and what she did and she found really creative ways to do okay. it. So she would find a black franchisee of a uh, of a gas station. Gotcha. And she would buy her. and she oh, would buy gas cool. cards. I like it in bulk uh, because it wasn't the, probably be, close to her because the closest <laughs> one she could find was far away from her. Right? She, she did this in Chicago. Okay. For her. And and But she talks about kind of how we go through all of our days and don't think about it. Sure, right. And I've been talking about this for years. Like, you know, is your financial planner Latino? Is your mechanic a Latino? Do you have a financial your, planner? Do you have a financial planner? Okay. Do you, Let's start is there. your accountant yeah. Latino? Is your, or whatever, right? Like, yeah. do you have a black and brown service provider for everything you do? And do you know, are you buying stuff? Are you buying jewelry? Are you buying clothing? Are is your hairstylist, you know, like all well, yeah, usually we got
4: that. Usually we got that. We
3: have the
2: although this one time.
4: <laughs> That's another show too, girl. Why well, you can do
2: that. That's and the reason why I had to get a weave at the age of forty is because <laughs> I actually went to a non black person for the first time in my life. I did it for convenience. And on the haircut, oh my God, it was terrible. So mm. But the but the, we but
3: the at the end of the book, and I would say, I would <laughs> really it. encourage everybody to read the book because yeah. it was okay. it was so well done. And by the way, she was Afro Latina. Just saying, but um, it is called Our Black
4: Year. Our oh. Black
3: Year. Okay. Yeah, really good. And and at the end of the book, what she talks about is if all of Black America bought five percent of all of the money they spend in a year, just five percent. So how hard could that be, right? Five percent. On black businesses, it would put billions into black pockets. Right? Yeah. And I have uh, got the same thing. I have a client,
1: and he was also featured on Killer Mike, um, the Netflix show. And he owns a black cell phone company, and he he sells his black phone. It's called F3. I'm um, by Freddie Figures, Figures Communication, and um, one of the things, <laughs> don't go there, Melissa. I'm going to
4: stick with my provider right now.
1: Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Melissa. <laughs> however, however, you know, he, he's been selling B, B2B, but he's been having a difficult time selling, selling B2C, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. And um, so we're trying to help him um, with that, you know, give, get more black people to buy black own cell phone and he has his own uh, black owned network. And we, you know, we need, we do need to start supporting our own. We need to start going to restaurants. And yesterday we went to a Black-owned restaurant, because it was Black Restaurant Week. But what uh, where we was that, have at? Where done where is it? that at? Shout uh,
2: them out. Hen Quarters, in Alexandria, Alexandria, Virginia. And we did find one in amazing. Virginia, in Old Town. A- amazing catfish and, and But we need to collard greens. seek them
1: out and look for them and start supporting them. And it goes back to the
3: whole... I patronize a lot of Latino restaurants. Just it,
1: I mean, it, it goes back to the whole, you know support our own, build the economic power in our own community and I know we ha- we're not going to get too much into the whole 1866 um, uh, civil rights law that I talked about earlier that, that's being you know basically fought and uh, it's going to be heard about in the su- uh, Supreme Court next week but it's all about economic inclusion, right? So if we, we've got to support our own in order to have some type of economic inclusion, inclusion and an economic pathway. So, you know, that's how I-
3: and part of that, too, from my standpoint, is just telling other people Yeah. about, mm-hmm. like, so my Latin, my accountant is Latino, and somebody, another friend of mine, a Latina angel investor, last week asked me, hey, who's your accountant? And I said, let me make an introduction. So, apart-
4: Do you have a Latina financial advisor?
3: I don't. I actually- have one for you. Oh. I just met one. And I, she's actually I actually to have find a book of business. both oh, really? a Latina yeah. financial advisor, who's a very close friend, and a Black man who's a financial oh, okay, advisor, yeah. who's a very okay. close friend. So I will also will share, share information. Yes. But, but I think that's part of it, right, is talking to each other about who do you use, where do you go, who owns a black grocery store
2: right. or whatever, right, so that too. Mm-hmm. And business is so relational. So I love the fact of, of giving recommendations for people. And so, again, it goes back to my, we hold each other's reputation in our hands. Mm-hmm. And so I think part of that comes with if someone gives you feedback, be open to hearing it because what they're probably doing is trying to help you get to that next level or uh, being Able to invite people that they know to your place of business or to um, receive your services. Yep.
3: So let's talk about just definitionally before we go to the VC fundraising, mm-hmm. hedge funds, pension funds. Where do they come from? How do they get used? Who runs them? Does anybody want to take that?
0: Oh uh, well, I'll, let's talk about pension funds. That's sure. a that's a that's an interesting topic uh, that I've been. I've been talking to a few people about this over the past several days because a lot of people just don't know, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, pension funds are like your retirement accounts, mm-hmm. and some of the big ones, like well, lots of lots of private companies have pension funds, if you will, like General Motors and GE, and we hear about those in the news as well. But there are also really large pension funds like the California Public Employees Retirement System. Mm-hmm. So that's every. So think about it. Think Cal, Calpers that's is right. what they mm-hmm. call it. So if you think about it, that's every public employee. So what's a public employee? A public employee is someone who works for the state, so that could be teachers, be firefighters, you know, the ones out there fighting the fires now. Road pavers, Mm -hmm. construction workers, janitors, et cetera, et cetera. And what what it mostly is, is it's a lot of lower or middle-class income individuals. And what ends up happening is that a little bit of everyone's income goes into this fund, and then the fund then invests in uh, stocks, bonds, alternative assets, like other like venture capital funds, right? So all of these large private equity and a lot of these large venture capital funds are funded by these institutional investors, i.e. pension funds. Um, and so what ends up happening is that they take all of this, what I'm thinking of, See, we're just going to... If
2: you had the F3 phone, Melissa, it (laughs) wasn't... Get the
0: F3, Yeah, if you would have had the F3 figures phone, you'd be... (laughs) Right, right, sure. You could have did the little wave, and it would have come on in front of my... Okay. (laughs) During my very poignant poignant points. <laughs> Actually, I think uh, I think they heard us and uh, the, the man, and the deep, goal. State, goal, the right deep so? state tried to interrupt my flow, but that's okay though, that because okay. what we're going to do is we're going to get right back on and we're going to just let everyone know that it's like, all of these public workers who, who we they aren't wealthy, a little bit of their income goes to these pension funds and those pension funds then distribute the money out to the venture capitalists hmm. and your private equity fund managers and those typically are all white males, just in general. And those folks will make billions of dollars, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, Like the vast, I don't know if the vast majority, but there's a ton of private equity and VC billionaires that are out there. And that's really, if you think about it, that's just sort of this large sort of transfer of wealth from poor people to rich people, right? right? But no one ever talks about that, right? And so once we start thinking about, okay, who should be able to benefit from, uh, you know, the backs of all of all of these public employees, um, and that's just California. Every state has right. a pension fund, so you take California and you multiply by about fifty, and then you'll see the type of money that we're talking about. We're talking, I don't know, probably trillions of dollars at this he point. To, yeah. And so, and that's why it's important that we have black people and Latinos and women managing these funds as well. Not only. Will they then take that money and invest it into uh, other people of color and women? They'll also, when they do really well, then you'll have more diverse billionaires as well. So um, pension funds are, are, are an amazing thing. And they, they I mean, my, my mother, who um, was a transport worker, uh, was in the Transport Worker Union and uh, has a pension fund through American Airlines. Uh, it, it helps her pay her bills. And so it, it's, it's useful and it's needed. But uh, I think we also need to include more people in the wealth generating.
4: Mm-hmm. But I think uh, people need to understand that. Like, I'm absolutely. so happy you said that because um, one of the topics I study as a professor is pension funds, and 50 percent of them are underfunded. Mm-hmm. So, like in Detroit, where the pension system just fell apart. I was going to bring that up. Um, Thank you, Melissa. I think it that fell apart. I knew I've, people were a part of I think of that. that less so for the private company pension funds, for obvious reasons. But I do think that whether you have money or not, you do need to understand what's happening in your pension funds and public pension funds. And many large states like California, New York, they mm-hmm. all have more than one. Mm-hmm. Um, you have the right to advocate, and right. when you get those states you need to read them and you need to pay attention to them because there is a wave and a concern that in certain industries, because injuries are much higher and our healthcare system is declining, people are exiting out early. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are desiring to exit out but then also going back in and so the actuarial tables are all off mm-hmm. for pension funds and many of them run the risk of not being able to meet their their criteria in terms of payout but also some of them made really bad investments. Mm-hmm. Right, The fact that you're taking poor people's money are working people's money mm-hmm. and going to basically play the stock market, and there's no penalty for you when you lose. Right. Mm-hmm. You are not liable to replace. So when you think about the majority of private pension funds who are now in an uproar because they realize they were paying 20 to 30% in fees... Yeah that they're never gonna get back. I feel like, well, then you guys should pay that back because you should have read the fine print, but what's happening is that's not trickling down and it's the workers are being lost. And I only raise that because I think it all ties up to the lack of financial literacy and education in our communities. Mm -hmm. Um, That we just don't even understand how little things, like not just buy black, but how about just monitor your own pension funds and, and speak up because you have a vote. In public pension funds, you have a vote, and I do think that there is a disengagement around issues that we think ah somebody else got for you, mm. but they don't they don't they got it, but not with our best interest in mind. Right. So I think that's that's I'm glad you brought that up, and people need to not not if they're a pension fund manager, but if they're a pension member, they need to be paying attention to what's yeah,
0: happening. Yeah, no, that's interesting. So yeah. uh, so I've been doing a lot of work lately around uh, getting more diverse uh, individuals into the corporate boards and, and on board members and things like that. So one thing I'm interested in from you, Melissa, is is on the pension fund side of the house, you, you just mentioned that you can vote. Now I'm thinking, can you vote for the people who decide no. how the money gets divvied out?
4: Unfortunately, you don't get to ah. vote for the consultant. Um, but if there are policy changes, oftentimes mm-hmm. you get to vote. Um, If there are allocation adjustments, now you probably may need to consult with somebody what those mean to you personally, you get to vote. Um, So things that they would say have significance around the value of your investment. I know we could argue clearly that the consultant is a value, but that's something that they would say is a fiduciary duty of the board and the executives of the pension fund. That's not allowed for members to vote. on. So up. how
0: do we but how there. do we integrate that? Those people. Yep. Like, is there a way to do so? Is there a, like a legal way to do it? Or like not right a- now.
4: I, th- I think it's standing up. Right. I mean, all these pension mm-hmm. funds have meetings. You know, let's be clear. If you got in New York, <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
4: five thousand teachers. To sign a change.org petition, I think people would pay attention, right? Uh, because they don't want them to walk out like they did in Chicago. Right. Right. So I do think if there's some mobilization around, because I, I, honestly, I think they don't care, right? I mean, I think historically, no matter what color you were, you kind of like. I trust the pension funds. Times mm-hmm. have changed, so I, I don't know that's that hard, but I do think it requires a level of education for folks to know, like, hey, we need to band together yep. on this. Uh, and it's funny because I think Detroit is a prime example. Like mm-hmm. those folks will mobilize a the strike. They will mobilize. We don't we don't do that when it comes to our own financial well-being. Right.
3: But there are now a lot of conversations inside pension funds that they want to diversify. And so they Mm -hmm. are looking for fund managers that are black and brown and women. And so there is a movement inside of pension funds. But let me just say, we're probably
4: not not going to get it. Because, and not every state <laughs> yeah. because while they're emerging manager programs for first-time money managers, there's a distinction between the qualitative uh, qualifications and the quantitative. What we have to remember, whether you're running a VC fund or a private equity fund, is that pension funds will not write a check for less than $100 million. And that's on the small side. Mm-hmm. As someone who ran a fund, $100 million sounds like a lot of money, but it's not. But let me tell you, it's a lot of money in the black community, mm-hmm. all because of how we started this conversation of the sizing of companies. Mm-hmm. My ability to deploy $100 million is pretty darn hard. And so I do think that it's a, it's a complicated ladder that yep. we can get well, up. Absolutely, But I think there are pension funds, the ones I work with. They're all into this impact investing. And they say, look, if you bring me a deal, That I can write a check for five hundred million, I'm in. And I'm like, okay, well would you do as a fund of fund? And they're like, Nope, we can't do fund of funds because we got burned with the white boys out here who are playing around and, and, you know, doing all kinds of stuff. But so there are ways, but I want to level set that that's where we have to get our own house in order to be able to go and receive that money
2: mm-hmm.
4: based on our financial statements, based on how we've assessed the market, deal flow.
3: And having people in those positions Absolutely. that are ready to manage right. funds that are $500 million right. or above, right? right? We have to be putting in place – what you're working on, Rashad, is putting in place – pieces on the chessboard so that when those opportunities come, there is somebody who can actually leverage them. And that goes back to having this conversation and even understanding what a PE fund is, what a pension fund is, how it works, all of that stuff. So because we're here, and I I do want to get back to raising the VC fund, but you've been putting in place pieces deliberately to make sure that there are black and brown folks specifically in Funds in VC funds. Talk a little bit about what you're doing inside of Score Three.
0: Oh, sure, sure. So Score Three. Um, so one of the things we found is that it is hard for Black and Brown and women-led startups, and we're talking venture-backable startups. The, the, this very small slice. Um, it's it's definitely hard to raise money. And but the problem is, is that there's just not enough check writers who look like us. Mm-hmm. And so what we have to do is we now have to then. I use the word integrate, or we have to make the check writing side of the house more diverse. And so what we do is we recruit uh, MBA students, graduate students from some of the best uh, schools in the nation. Georgetown. Uh, Georgetown. Uh, we do, we do have one from Georgetown made, now. Right? Uh, we do. Well, we're going to bring on another person from Georgetown. Well, phenomenal, phenomenal sure individual.
1: Uh, of
0: course, Stanford is one. University of Michigan. Yeah. Thank
1: you. Uh, go blue, uh, go Michigan. Go blue,
0: definitely. Um, <laughs> and Stanford over here uh, as well. Uh, but then also Vanderbilt and uh, and others. So we're talking about extremely talented individuals. Who are having trouble getting into the VC space, and and that's their that's their dream, that's their goal. They want to be. And you're integrating they want to be ter- HBCUs as
2: well. I don't want to. Oh, absolutely. You know.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. One hundred percent. We're taking the we're taking the best and brightest from across the nation and. Um, you know you just send your email to that pitch at score3.org we and we'll it. get you squared away that was a commercial um, moment <laughs> you know you know i am an entrepreneur i am an entrepreneur and uh, i've got to i've got to you know i got to sell my thing you know so basically what we do is they spend a year to 2 years uh, with us and we place them inside of an angel group or another venture capital fund so for instance uh here like Citrine Angels, right? We're, uh, we're I think Mokta is going to be uh, working with you guys. Um, and she'll be there for a year to two years while she, um, and she'll be learning and she'll be meeting, she'll be building the network that she needs to have mm-hmm. in order to then say, okay, I've done 20 deals, um, venture deals. I've vetted over 100 or 200, 300 companies, I've read six or 700 pitch decks, right? Um, You know, I've been doing the due for the past two years so that when then she goes and she then applies for a lot of these, uh, what we might call them venture associate positions, she is five times is better she's five times better than anyone
2: she's more qualified has hands-on yeah. experience absolutely and actually, and, mm-hmm. and that's
0: what we have to do and we have to you know we all know you have to be two three four five times better than everyone yep. else and right. that's what i'm doing i'm building Ooh. a crew of people who come in and they just absolutely just just knocking the ball off the, cover, knocking, the cover, knocking the cover off the ball and uh, the goal is uh, long term because i think in 20 year chunks um, long term, you're going to look up. And you're going to say, "Man, where are all these uh, where all these black people come from in venture capital?" Or you know, what, what what's up with all these latinas? Uh, you know, writing these uh, writing these fifty to hundred million dollar checks. And once we can start doing that, then it'll make it easier, I believe, um, for for people of color and women to actually raise money, right. um, because we're going to work on a, and we're working on both sides, both the entrepreneurship side and the and the check writing side. And uh, and then. And then also on the board side as well. So the corporate board side of the house So
2: it's the small and the large steps, right? So the small steps are getting, you know, one or two people into these places. Of course, you're doing a lot more than that. Uh, The other is working collectively. Um, And so someone asked me the other day, what can they do as a a white business owner to help build more black businesses? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think one of the things that people need to think about is, are your subcontractors black-owned businesses? Are you... Um, hiring a black person or a Latino or someone that you're not normally hiring, looking at your team and making sure you're intentionally bringing folks on and not just for the check mark to say that you have, but you're actually bringing people on who are qualified and that you're training them the same way that you're training other folks and giving them that opportunity to get promoted should you have that structure. Um, I think the other uh, piece of this is just partnering. So if you're not, um, and I'm specifically talking about Uh, businesses of color partnering with each other, which we don't historically do well. Mm -hmm. I think, Melissa, you and I have talked about this before, just if you can't go after a certain contract because you don't have the capacity, potentially partnering with another small business Mm -hmm. can actually get you there. Um, And a lot more supplier diversity, Mm -hmm. um, procurement offices are looking at that. And so those are the small things we can start doing now so that in five, ten years we can look up and we'll see a lot more government contracting businesses uh, at the $5, $10 million, $25, 50000000 million oh, level.
0: Absolutely,
3: 100%. Well, and talk about what you're doing right now with raising the
2: fund. I'm going to be honest. Raising a fund, it was not, life of me ain't been no crystal stair. Um, you guys know Langston Hughes? Um, of course. So we are raising right now uh, up to a $40 million fund, and I say up to because if we get to 25 that that will be success for us. Um, I am part of a fund with two other uh, gentlemen, two African-American males, one who has been in the vesting world for 40 years, so four decades, which is really hard to come by at this point in time. Uh, The fund that he worked for before supported underrepresented entrepreneurs, and so I have the opportunity to learn from him. Um, So there's some of the same issues that we're going through now, that he went through that we're going through now, um, although I think it's a different playing field. Um, So we've had a lot of really interesting conversations. We're doing well, we've got some money hard circled, some soft circled. Um, Right now, all of our investors are people of color, which is great. Um, We have had some discussions with high net worth individuals who honestly, one of the uh, questions that we're getting more frequently is, do you have enough businesses in the pipeline that are run by and led by the population that you say you're gonna serve that can actually scale? So to Melissa's point, you know, they're, they're peop- we've got to get our folks up to speed. Uh, we do believe that we have that. And, of course, working collectively in our ecosystem, we are all committed to getting these companies where they need to be so that they can be successful. And so a fund like ours can be successful. Uh, key to our strategy also is actually co-investing. And so we're not going to do this alone. We are intentionally pulling together uh, our ecosystem, or our alternative ecosystem, to make sure that we have a funding um, cycle for the the, the uh, entrepreneurs that come through our program.
3: And in, in addition, I mean, you guys are mm-hmm. actually raising a fund. Absolutely. Um, but we had on our show a couple episodes ago um, somebody who has put together a fund that was made up of pledges. So talk right. a little bit about that too.
2: <laughs> so I, you know, um, so. And you're referring to the the billion dollar fund for women, which yeah. um, they were really successful in getting to a billion dollar pledge within six months. I think they gave themselves 16 months or so, but they were able to get there quick quickly. Uh, they were successful because I think a lot of VC and PE funds, have, some of them, they have good intention. It's easier to say yes, I will do this, than to actually take the money and and uh, invest it right away. Um, so, But I do think what's going to happen within those pledges, we're going to actually see a lot of positivity. For us, it is you're investing. You're making a commitment today, and we're expecting you to, be, to have that commitment uh, going forward. It's not just a pledge. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if it were a pledge, it would be a little bit easier for us right now. Um, but I'm, I'm hopeful, and, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to the businesses that we are going to invest in.
1: That's great. And Melissa, you want to talk about Eureka? Can I pronounce it Yes. So Yes, <laughs> it's U
4: R E E K A. Um, so it's funny, I, I just want to say, um, Christina and I have had these conversations about funds, and it is hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and I appreciate you doing that. 1863 um, is raising a fund, and it's hard. Mm-hmm. And okay. it's hard because the requirement for LPs, limited partners, to believe your investment thesis. Right requires them, unfortunately, to take a huge leap of faith on entrepreneurs of color and women, which is deeply and unfortunate. And fund managers of color. Um, right? and, and I feel like, though, like, I feel like there's enough proxy, like, they give you a shot. Mm-hmm. But we, the conversation we've been in is like, well, how do you know the entrepreneurs are actually going right. to make it? Like, how do you know? And, and we're intentionally not doing a venture capital fund. We're doing mm-hmm. a revenue-based financing fund. Mm-hmm only because it's a little bit easier to demonstrate cash flow businesses versus unicorns. But, mm-hmm. but it's still fascinating because they'll say, well, we trust you because mm-hmm. you, know, you can ahead and then you can mm-hmm. add. But we're not sure that your belief that these entrepreneurs are gonna be successful enough to pay you back. And, and it's hard when the data comes out that shows what it shows and we don't have enough documentation of success stories right. who, who make it. <clears throat> um, so I, I just wanna say congratulations. and. Good luck. Um, the, the the but, but it She's, also you said God bless
2: me a few times and I'm like keep it coming and I'm He's, spiritual so that, that yes. says a lot. Uh, but but
4: I but I raised that because um, Eureka is 18 months in mm-hmm. the making um, and didn't tell anybody because we wanted to make sure it's actually going to work. Yes. Um, but I was in Buffalo where they give away five million dollars in one night. Mm-hmm because uh, Cuomo made a billion dollar commitment to Buffalo
2: mm-hmm.
4: and yeah. for a variety of reasons. And I was sitting there and I'm going, why is this not happening? everywhere. Because it's kind of like if it can happen in Buffalo, then mm-hmm. it really should be able to happen everywhere. Um, and there was an extreme intentionality on diversity. Mm-hmm. And so there were black winners, there were uh, Asian winners. And part of that was who the judges were, and I was one of the judges. And I met this guy who at the time worked at Facebook. And I will admit I had my own chip on my shoulder. He had his chip on his shoulder with somebody from Tesla, and I was like, I'm still trying to figure out how I got invited. Um, um, but
2: once you're in the room, but
4: once I was in the room, I was like, never, never me, me, me and, me, and Bo from from Ohio, um, and and we realized though that while we while we didn't necessarily have the same overlap around the entrepreneurs we cared about, we had the same intentionality that. Success needs to thrive beyond mm-hmm. Silicon Valley. Absolutely. And so the, being the non-trusting person that I am, I was like, well, we can keep talking. And we ended up doing two what we call black tech tracks, where we took African-American entrepreneurs to Silicon Valley. And it was twofold. One, it was to dispel the myth that this is where stuff happens so they can see there's some stupid shit happening out there, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but two, it was a way to educate folks in Silicon Valley. And so Dave is his name. He would set up all these investors, and we'd tour all the big tech companies. And it never failed. The answers would be like, I still don't understand how they make any money. I go, because they don't. But they also got um, feedback um, around where they could actually change their businesses. Mm -hmm. But the one thing that didn't happen is there wasn't a single venture capitalist who was willing to be honest with them about their business. Mm -hmm. And it's very rare that somebody like myself says political correctness is screwing us over because nobody would say, it's okay. But it could be better if right. they would say that's good. Now I think some of that was they didn't expect any better, but some of it was mm. like they were afraid to mm. say. Right. And so based on that experience, I was like, we've got to solve for that. And, and once he was able to see our entrepreneurs and see the data and the, num- and the statistics speaking for themselves, that this is not moral, it's economic, we decided how do we create a community where people can talk to their friends. Mm-hmm. So we did a Facebook channel and watched all of the virality of people helping each other and not wow. knowing how to do that. That's Community of belonging is a big deal. It was, it was huge, mm-hmm. and, and it didn't matter. I mean, the majority of them are women and people mm-hmm. of color, but <clears throat> all sectors, because everybody's having the same problem right. at a certain right. stage, mm-hmm. we realized, because of the study, people couldn't find mentors and coaches because they were so busy trying to prove themselves that mm-hmm. that's just, like, I couldn't find what... Probably all of us could easily pick up the phone and do, but it's required so you at least have somebody in the back of your head going, are you sure? That's what you really want to do. Mm -hmm. And then we realized things like financing and and access to a marketplace that is curated. So everybody that comes onto our marketplace is trained. There's a culturally competence test that you have to pass. Um, There's videos to make sure that that this is a community that supports non-traditional, so to speak, entrepreneurs. Um, And so the purpose of Eureka is really to have peers, mentors, and coaches tools and content, and then access to a marketplace that truly reduces the friction and costs that were surfaced in the report. And it's done in a way where we do curate everybody who comes on the platform from a service provider so we know who they are. They have been vetted, so we're not going to have someone who's trolling or doesn't understand what this community is about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will say the one thing that I learned from Dave was that he kept challenging me. on, like, why, did, why is 1863 a nonprofit? And I was like, well, you know, because entrepreneurs... You know, I don't think they should have to pay, and, and he dispelled me of that myth because he said what happens from his perspective is he got to know us, it signals that we need a subsidy. And I said, well, that's mm. the last narrative mm. that I'm trying to portray. So we have it out there now. It's live, eureka.biz. You can go on to a free beta. You have to use the code JOINBETA because it's a closed beta. Um, J-O-I-N-B-E-T-A.
2: <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> look at you. Look at yeah, you. Right? Learn uh, say, learning. I See, right?
4: Eureka, U-R-E-E-K-A, dot biz. Um, but once it goes live in its full form, it's $199 a year.
0: Was cheap.
4: Well, and because we did a survey to find out what entrepreneurs were spending, and right. one of the co founders is a customer acquisition. Expert, And he was like, if I hear one more of our entrepreneurs who spent $2,000 on some crash social media course and they got no results, it's absolutely absurd. So it dispelled me of the myth that entrepreneurs can't pay, but is how do we make sure they're paying for things that are actually valuable to them. Um, So it's been an eye-opening experience. I'm excited by it because I can stand by it from a mission perspective. I can stand by it from a market opportunity Mm -hmm. perspective. And I would say we've tested it with over 250 entrepreneurs that have come from the 1863 community and the new voices community um and there's been intentionality for them to tell their stories you can hear their success stories and that was critical because these are folks who are now in target yep. and 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 but based on how they've decided and there's some that are just doing smaller things but this idea of having people go to a community and literally being able to see themselves no matter what size mm-hmm. no matter what stage no matter what sector
2: yeah. No, yes. powerful.
0: That I'm, is I'm powerful. looking forward to that because, yep. uh, yeah, I want to invest in your company. Gotcha. So gotcha. let's do it. We got Yeah, We're down. We're down. Absolutely. Trying to build a passive income. So. At so, pitch sit on the beach. At score three. <laughs> 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 See, it's infectious. It hit, See, it it it. You got
4: it. A, uh, yeah. <laughs> look, I've been in D.C. a long time. Donnie's my man. <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. I love and, it. and
2: the marathon fund, we look to partnering as well. You know, I'm big on partnerships, yep. and and I and, and you you and I have talked about yep. even just in this area when we talk local how do we identify, and we have so many amazing entrepreneurs we in this do. area that, that can yep. scale and grow fast, and yep. how do we get behind a few of them together Absolutely. and accelerate their growth so that we so, and, and our whole
4: strategy is partners. So mm-hmm. Beacon signed up today. Yep. Oh. Um, Alice mm-hmm. is awesome. a partner. Okay. Um, because what we found is we're not competing. We're never mm-hmm. trying no. to replace the offline experience. Sure. But when I had a conversation with Julia Herahub, she's like, so help me understand. And I said, well, talk to me about what it costs for you to serve as alumni. Right, right, right. She was like, well, that's something we're working on. I said, here you go right, that when you do your job, and they stingly help call us, and the beauty is we have a ESO dashboard that you mm-hmm. could log in, and you could see all of your portfolio companies, yeah. and you can see where they're going, and then supplement that Real time, And the idea is to be a complementary resource. Mm -hmm. But the whole model is built on partnerships, and we even have a revenue model, Mm -hmm. because we realize a lot of the folks we're appealing to are nonprofits. How do we help them share in this kind of circular economic wealth creation opportunity? Mm -hmm. So we've thought about that, because first of all, it lowers our customer acquisition costs. Mm -hmm. But we also know you validated that. But having been someone who's running one, I'm like... Yeah, I mean, when they graduate, where do we send them? Because they're not leaving. And, and A, as a nonprofit, you're not funded. And B, they become a lot more expensive because they're right. coming in one-on-one. So right. Right. we look forward to partnering with everybody.
0: I love it. I look forward to you, partnering with you as well. So, yes. Uh, Council Corps three in mm-hmm. and uh, and and whatever else we got going on. So I'm super excited. Uh-huh. This is awesome.
3: This is great. I love the love. Well, we have covered a lot. We have covered. <laughs> I keep going. And, go. I, I know. And, and I think We've we covered. could. I think we could keep going for another couple hours, but we probably might overstay our welcome here in the studio. Yes, so. I'm sure Rodney's like, okay, so,
1: when are they leaving? Let's, <laughs> it's so let's time just to do. Like I'm I'm to do my own hey, well. like summary.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the truth has no time limit. Is all I'm saying. And um, oh. but oh.
1: before you do your quick summary, because I know you're great at it, mm-hmm. and I'm not, I just wanted to thank again. Melissa, Rashad, are coming into the studio. I know you all, both are so busy. Um, you doing? You wearing multiple hats, and also you're mentoring the community. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen on November November 13th. Mm-hmm. We all have our thoughts. Um, not to get into the weeds of this. I just want to end before we do our, our wrap up. What are what are your thoughts without talking too much about the? civil rights act of 1866 but what are your thoughts about what is happening today that's all and in terms of the whole economic inclusion and then this is getting ready to go before the supreme court
0: well i guess with respect to that i would just say that i am pro inclusion mm-hmm. um yeah you know, I'll, I'll admit i just learned about the whole situation when it, when it showed up on the breakfast club um, and that was just a couple of days ago when I, when I listened to it. And I guess I should be more woke than that, but, uh, and Melissa's shaking her head and that's okay. Uh, I am, I am, but a mere mortal. Um, and I remember some many years ago and I was like, I heard that Byron Allen was suing Comcast and, and whomever for like 20 billion or something. It was crazy. I was like, man, what is this dude? What is he doing? Is he on something? I mean, I don't, you know, whatever. And so yeah, I just promptly forgot about it. Uh, then fast forward to two or three or four years later uh now it's now it 's a now it 's a thing um whatever 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 comes of November thirteenth um I think we should definitely all learn more about it we should all uh pick aside and advocate for inclusion and uh that that 's what i 'll kind of say on that one
1: Melissa your thoughts
4: so, one, I think it's important we all know our history, no matter all when right. we learn it, Absolutely. only because it's repeating itself. Yes. Yes. And, and I it think is. that the, the couple of significant things, because I'm not a lawyer, are, one, it begins to show the insidiousness of what race has become in this country. Right. Yeah. While we don't like to think about it, um, for better or for worse, I wrote my senior thesis at Georgetown about uh, segregation being a good thing. Um, for black people in terms mm-hmm. of our wealth creation, but you also knew where you stood. Mm-hmm. And really at the crux mm-hmm. of those laws, what are you required to show that you have experienced uh, some kind of negative backlash or lack of opportunity? Mm-hmm. And inherent in this is that you have to show race is the sole reason. And I'm not sure that we can do that. We can't. No, I think it's, impossible. Uh, no, we, and, it's and, impossible. and so I think that's it's really what's, that's what's at stake. Because right? right. I think we you. can all say... The primary driver was probably when we walked in the door Mm -hmm. right but then for all the reasons we just talked about can't get a bank loan private equity won't look at us we're not necessarily scalable because of all these things we're not having those conversations those then become the complicating factors of why then they can have bias based on race and so i do think that it's really challenging i'll say the the big takeaway for me is the fact that the federal government has gotten involved. Yes. That the president has written an amicus brief, which is Mm. uh, Mm -hmm. unprecedented. And if nothing else... uh, I'll give a shout out in a positive way to our Virginia folks. If y'all can flip Virginia, then we Uh, need to flip the country and people need to vote.
2: We We are are working on flipping Virginia. We are. We definitely are.
0: Yes, I was passing out sample ballots just yesterday. It was awesome.
2: I mean, it takes community. It takes voice. It takes courage. Um, I I do have a question. I want to do the wrap up um, a little bit differently because the thing that stood out to me that Byron mentioned and I mentioned it earlier was um, just in talking about how black people are viewed in our society is that we get dismissed, discredited, then mm-hmm. demonized, then destroyed mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i and we're seeing a lot more of the demonizing and destroying happening now again yes. history is not yeah. only repeating yeah. itself yeah, uh-huh. it's getting worse it's worse than mm. it was yeah. and, and and i think we're becoming immune to it and some of us who are have made it and have it's easy just to not take action because why right we don't want to really lose anything and i'm let me speak for myself um, but I think one of the things of raising this fund has taught me is the responsibility. Once you get to the table, get mm-hmm. in the room, mm-hmm. and have the opportunity to affect change. I yes. think you brought up the asset managers. 1.3% are people of color. Right. That means everyone else is making the decision. So how do we, how do we partner? How do we work? How do we whatever we need to do to change? Because it's gonna, it's got to start with us. Because obviously it, has it hasn't. To. It has to continue with us, I should Amen. say. Yeah, so, because
1: our civil rights leaders are passing; they're going, yeah. and um, you know we've lost a few already. We lost mm-hmm. a couple. I don't know how you know. I know people feel a certain way about John Conyers, but and when you say this, he's
0: gone.
1: he's gone, and I know. And we're not going to bring up how he left, but he was one of a strong advocate of civil rights throughout decades, yeah. decades for us, and. Um, now it's time for us to pick up the mantle. We also lost Elijah Cummings too, another mm-hmm. great leader. And and I'm not just talking about politicians. I'm talking about these unsung heroes who are out there too, who we don't even really talk about on a day to day basis. And it was left up to us now to do something. And about you don't have to be a
2: politician on. to have a voice. Yeah, right? your your voice is in your dollar, right? Yeah, you, you need to know the value of your dollar. Your voice is in the communities that you join. Your voice is in the companies that you join. Mm-hmm. Your voice is in so many different ways, and so. We just need to push and have activists like Rashad here. Mm -hmm. He might not consider himself one, but as you're bringing people to the you know through the ranks a little bit differently right it's creating this alternative opportunity for people and like mm-hmm. we just need to continue to do that and work together i may be an optimist but no is, no you're mine. not and i
1: was warned about this a few years ago by Merley evers williams and um she she told me and this is what's running the obama administration when i was thinking oh well come back you know racism you know post-racist society not uh, she said, I'm watching and I'm seeing everything repeat itself. And I feel like it's going to get worse. And we're old. She said that we're old, we're tired. We, we did this fight. It's now left up to you all to do it. Mm-hmm. And that's what, she, those were her words about 10 years ago to me. I think that's a good closing. That is a good closing. So
2: Aurelia, your last, like there. you want to, you want to do the wrap up? I feel like that is the wrap-up. It's, okay. it's, it's all of our fight. you mm-hmm. know. It's not, it's not one more than the other. It's all of mm-hmm. our fight. We, mm-hmm. can't, we can't give up.
4: But right. It's also a different fight. It mm-hmm. is a different fight. It's the ballots. Point. It's the businesses. It's the basketball courts. It's everywhere. Yes.
3: So we will keep this conversation on money going. This will be just the beginning, and we encourage you to keep it going wherever you are as well. And, it's, and part of it. And it's also media literacy and all of these other things. Yes, so, that's yeah. another conversation. Yeah, yes. so talk about money. Tell people about money. Tell people to listen to our podcast.
2: <laughs> yes, get found, get funded.
3: <laughs> and and um, take advantage of the resources out there, including from Eureka and Score 3. And
1: 1863 Ventures. Mm-hmm. we got to th- make sure all, we give a shout-out to that.
2: And, and
3: we'll bring Rashad back to talk about his and Christina's other Um, entrepreneurship venture.
2: Building black businesses.
3: Absolutely.
1: All right. Great. Well, thank you, everybody. You know where to find us at GetFoundGetFunded.com. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. Find us on Spotify, iTunes. We're pretty much on all the uh, podcast uh, channels. And thank you for tuning in to a special edition of Get Found Get Funded. And please, please, and this is my last time for saying this, pay attention to November 13th.